Hey Danny, how you doing, man? I'm well, Lewis. How, how are you? You're you're still here, aren't you? <laughs> I don't like doing this by myself. I I I'm, I need I need Lewis. I need my partner in crime. I need my buddy. I need my pal here to 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 compensate to do a courtesy laugh to the shite jokes that I'm telling. Okay, this doesn't feel right. But anyway, I'm gonna get through it. Just like Mary, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna get through it. And uh, this is part two of um, Lamb to the Slaughter. Um, I don't have a cold. It's just sunny outside and it's a bit of hay fever. Um, so yeah, where we left off, Mary's just killed her husband, and uh, it's really atmospheric now. Oh, it's so spooky. And uh, yeah, let's just get straight into it. It was extraordinary, now, how clear her mind became all of a sudden. She began thinking very fast. As the wife of a detective, she knew quite well what the penalty would be. That was fine. It made no difference to her. In fact, it would be a relief. On the other hand, what about the child? What were the laws about murderers with unborn children? Did they kill them both, mother and child? Or did they wait until the ninth month? What did they do? Mary Maloney didn't know and she certainly wasn't prepared to take a chance. She carried the meat into the kitchen, placed it in a pan, turned the oven on high, and shoved it inside. Then she washed her hands and ran upstairs to the bedroom. She sat down before the mirror, tidied her hair, touched up her lips and face. She tried a smile. It came out rather peculiar. She tried again. Hello, Sam, she said brightly aloud. The voice sounded peculiar too. I want some potatoes, please, Sam. Yes, and I think a can of peas. That was better. Both the smile and the voice were coming out better now. She rehearsed it several times before. Then she ran downstairs, took her coat, went out the back door, down the garden and into the street. It wasn't six o'clock yet, and the lights were still on in the grocery shop. Hello, Sam, she said brightly, smiling at the man behind the counter. Why, good evening, Mrs Maloney. How are you? I want some potatoes, please, Sam. Yes, and I think a can of peas. The man turned and reached up behind him on the shelf for the peas. Patrick's decided he's tired and doesn't really want his tea out tonight, she told him. We usually go out Thursdays, you know, and now he's caught me without any vegetables in the house. Then how about the meat, Mrs Maloney? No, I've got meat, thanks. I've got a nice leg of lamb from the freezer. Oh, I don't know how much about cooking it frozen, Sam, but I'm taking a chance on it this time. You think it'll be all right? Personally, the grocer said, I don't believe it makes any difference. You want these Idaho potatoes? Oh yes, that'll be fine. Two of those. Anything else? The grocer cocked his head on one side, looking at her pleasantly. How about afterwards? What are you going to give him for afterwards? Well, what would you suggest, Sam? The man glared around the shop. How about a nice big slice of cheesecake? I know he likes that. Perfect, she said. He loves it. And when it was all wrapped and she had paid, she put on her brightest smile and said, Thank you, Sam. Good night. Good night, Mrs Maloney, and thank you. And now she told herself as she hurried back, all she was doing now, she was returning home to her husband and he was waiting for his supper. And she must cook it good and make it tasty as possible because the poor man was tired. And if, when she entered the house, she happened to find anything unusual or tragic or terrible, 
then naturally it would be a shock and she'd become frantic with grief and horror. Mind you, she wasn't expecting to find anything. She was going home with the vegetables. Mrs Patrick Maloney going home with the vegetables on Thursday evening to cook supper for her husband. That's the way she told herself. Do everything right and natural. Keep things absolutely natural and there'll be no need for any acting at all. Therefore, when she entered the kitchen by the back door, she was humming a little tune to herself and smiling. Patrick, she called. How are you, darling? She put the parcel down on the table and went through into the living room. And when she saw him lying there on the floor with his legs doubled up and one arm twisted back underneath his body, it was really rather a shock. All the old love and longing for him welled up inside her and she ran over to him, knelt down beside him and began to cry her heart out. It was easy. No acting was necessary. A few minutes later she got up and went to the phone. She knew the number of the police station and when the man at the other end answered she cried to him, Quick! Come quick! Patrick's dead. Who's speaking? Mrs Maloney. Mrs Patrick Maloney. You mean Patrick Maloney's dead? I think so, she sobbed. He's lying on the floor and I think he's dead. Be right over, the man said. The car came very quickly and when she opened the front door two policemen walked in. She knew them both. She nearly knew all the men at the precinct and she fell right into a chair then went over to join the other one who was called O'Malley kneeling by the body. Is he dead? she cried. I'm afraid he is. What happened? Briefly she told her story about going to the grocer and coming back to find him on the floor. While she was talking, crying and talking, Noonan discovered a small patch of concealed blood on the dead man's head. He showed it to O'Malley, who got up at once and hurried to the phone. Soon other men began to come into the house. First a doctor, then two detectives, one of whom she knew by name. Later, a police photographer had arrived and took pictures, and a man who knew about fingerprints. There was a great deal of whispering and muttering beside the corpse, and the detectives kept asking her a lot of questions, but they always treated her kindly. She told her story again, this time right from the beginning when Patrick had come in, and she was sewing, and he was tired, so he hadn't wanted to go out for supper. She told how she'd put the meat in the oven, it's there now cooking, and how she stepped out to the grocer for vegetables and came back to find him lying on the floor. Which grocer? One of the detectives asked. She told him, and he turned and whispered something to the other detective, who immediately went outside into the street. In 15 minutes he was back with a page of notes, and there was more whispering, and through her sobbing she heard a few of the whispered phrases, acted quite normal, very cheerful, wanted to give him a good supper, peas, cheesecake impossible that she. After a while the photographer and the doctor departed and the two other men came in and took the corpse away in a stretcher. The fingerprint man went away, the two detectives remained and so did the two policemen. They were exceptionally nice to her and Jack Noonan asked if she wouldn't rather go somewhere else, to her sister's house perhaps, or to his own wife who would take care of her and put her up for the night. No, she said. She didn't feel as if she could move another yard at that moment. Would they mind awfully if she stayed just there where she was until she felt better? She didn't feel too good at the moment. She really didn't. Then hadn't she better lie down on the bed? Jack Noonan asked. No, she said. She'd like to stay right here where she was, in this chair. A little later, perhaps, when she felt better, she would move. So they left her there while they went about their business, searching the house. 
Occasionally one of the detectives asked her another question. Sometimes Jack Noonan spoke at her gently as he passed by. Her husband, he told her, had been killed by a blow on the back of the head administered with a heavy blunt instrument, almost certainly a large piece of metal. They were looking for the weapon. The murderer may have taken it with him, but on the other hand he may have thrown it away or hidden it somewhere on the premises. It's the old story, he said. Get the weapon and you've got the man. Later, one of the detectives came up and sat beside her. Did she know of anything in the house that could have been used as a weapon? He asked. Would she mind having a look around to see if anything was missing? A very big spanner, for example, or a heavy metal vase? They didn't have any metal vases, she said. Or a big spanner? She didn't think they had a big spanner, but there might be some things like that in the garage. The search went on. She knew that there were other policemen in the garden all around the house. She could hear their footsteps on the gravel outside, and sometimes she saw a flash of a torch through a chink in the curtains. It began to get late, nearly nine, she noticed by the clock on the mantel. The four men searching the rooms seemed to be growing weary, a trifle exasperated. Jack, she said, the next time Sergeant Noonan went by. Would you mind giving me a drink? Sure, I'll give you a drink. You mean this whiskey? Yes, please, but just a small one. It might make me feel better. He handed her the glass. Why don't you have one yourself, she said. You must be awfully tired. Please do. You've been very good to me. Well, he answered. It's not strictly allowed, but I might just take a drop to keep me going. One by one, the others came in and were persuaded to take a little nip of whiskey. They stood around rather awkwardly with the drinks in their hands, uncomfortable in her presence trying to say consoling things to her. Sergeant Noonan wandered into the kitchen, came out quickly and said, Look, Mrs Maloney, you know that oven of yours is still on and the meat is still inside. Oh dear me, she cried, so it is. I better turn it off for you, hadn't I? Will you do that, Jack? Thank you so much. When the sergeant returned the second time, she looked at him with her large, dark, tearful eyes. Jack, she said. Yes? Would you do me a small favour, you and these others? We can try, Mrs Maloney. Well, she said, here you are, all good friends of my dear Patrick, and helping to catch the man who killed him. You must be terribly hungry by now, because it's long past your supper time, and I know Patrick would never forgive me, God bless his soul, if I allowed you to remain in this house without offering you decent hospitality. Why don't you eat up that lamb that's in the oven? It'll be cooked just right by now. Wouldn't dream of it, Sergeant Noonan said. Please, she begged, please eat it. Personally, I couldn't touch a thing. Certainly not what's been in this house when he was here. But it's all right for you. It'd be a favour to me if you'd eat it up. Then you can go on with the work again afterwards. There was a good deal of hesitating among the four policemen, but they were clearly hungry, and in the end they were persuaded to go into the kitchen and help themselves. The woman stayed where she was listening to them speak amongst themselves, their voices thick and sloppy because their mouths were full of meat. Have some more, Charlie? No, better not finish it. She wants us to finish it. She said so. Be doing her a favour. Okay then, give me some more. That's a hell of a big club that the guy must have used to hit poor Patrick, one of them was saying. The doc says his skull was smashed all to pieces, just like from a sledgehammer. That's why it ought to be easy to find, exactly what I say. Whoever done it, they're not going to be carrying a thing like that around with them longer than they need. One of them belched. Personally, I think it's right here on the premises. 
probably right under our very noses. What do you think, Jack? And in the other room, Mary Maloney giggled. So, time for some lovely, lovely um, analysis. Um, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was good. Uh, I like how, um, at the beginning of that, it, it's, it's, it becomes clear that Mary's in denial about what happened. Um, like, before she killed him, she's like, even if I just, you know, pretend that I hadn't heard him and just, you know, carry on with my business, um, she goes upstairs and rehearses what she's going to say and in her mind it's like the facts almost like blur out for her she just goes down yes yes I'm just going to get dinner and that's all I'm doing and she almost like sort of believes it for a little bit um it's really it's, it's really quite interesting how like until she's safe it's almost as if it didn't happen because once she's like completely you know beyond suspicion she obviously starts giggling um the police officers the detectives um they completely underestimate her and i think that that goes it, um it, it reinforces my theory about it being set um back in the, the 20th century when when sort of marriage was viewed as very sort of um patriarchal and very sort of women had their place sort of thing because they completely underestimate Mary as a person. It doesn't even enter into their minds once that Mary, the only other person that lives in the house, could have possibly killed her husband. You know, any detective worth their salt would just would just immediately just well, why wouldn't it be why wouldn't it be Mary, you know? I mean she has the she has the alibi that she's went down to the to the grocers and and Sam was there and all that but it's lit why would any random male criminal walk in to someone's house uh whack them over the head and then leave like that most most murders happen by someone that they know I mean it's 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 really um sort of closed like that so the idea that the detectives don't even suspect Mary once is kind of it's kind of comical in a way, and it's their own sort of assumptions and biases that just keep them from seeing as, um, I think, what's his name? What's the character's name? Uh, it's probably right under our nose. What do you think, Jack? Like, I mean, that <laughs> almost sounds like a comedy sketch. Um, so it's, it's really funny. Uh, the detectives are, like, comically bad at their job because, like, even even the, the the obvious suspect is, like, right under their nose. They're not even concerned, really. I mean, they search the premises. or oh, is there anything on the premises that could be used as a murder weapon or anything like that? But, like, all they're concerned about is, like, getting a drink of whiskey. And, you know, they're all starving and, and they're just desperate to tuck into this little leg of lamb. Oh, I would never have that. But you know that they're absolutely just more concerned with that it really like i said that everything seemed like really normal i mean even after the investigation that you know they're just sitting in the in the, the you know the kitchen having having a meal and i know that mary was like oh you're you'd be doing a big favor for me but like would would you honestly after you know someone's 
husband has been killed, would you honestly then sit down and have a meal that was meant to be for them before he was killed? I mean, I just would have to say, no, 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 sorry, we've got we've got work to do, you know? I just think that that's really weird. But, again, it works with the, the framing of, like, us being on Mary's side because, you know, the, the other people in our life seem very sort of nonchalant about stuff that's actually quite serious, whether it be Patrick about leaving her, whether it be about the police sort of like, um, you know, just sitting down to have a meal uh, after after Patrick's been killed, and the, the the irony is is enough to make it's certainly enough to make me laugh, and it seems to be enough to make Mary laugh as well. So I think that that it really works as an ending, and ultimately I think it's a a story about irony and dark irony and, and you know a. Uh, tragic irony and I just think it's it's fantastic well um that was lamb to the slaughter part part two um I really I really enjoy this story um it's very you feel I'm a big fan of like character studies in general and like focusing on how one character feels throughout the entire thing whether it be film or a short story, or whatever, so I really, I really enjoy this story, and you really are completely, you know, on board with what Mary's sort of thinking, um, you know, I don't, don't know if she should be going about killing people, but, you know, um, it's, it's, it's really amazing how, despite the fact that she's committed murder, you can completely and 100% empathise with the situation that she's in, um, so yeah, well, it's time to do some uh, some shameless shilling. Um, the podcast uh, has link trees. Uh, Lewis's link tree is a uh, linktr.ee slash Lewis underscore Brindley. Um, mine is slash O'Hiram, uh, and the podcast's is slash Shouting Into the Void. So check us out. You can find our YouTube, our our Instagram, whatever. Whatever you, whatever you like. Um, we have a PayPal donate button, so anything you can spare, anything at all, would be greatly um, appreciated. We also have a Patreon, and we want to thank our wonderful patrons. We do this every week uh, because they are 100% amazing. Uh, so, Chloe, thank you. Darius, thank you. Sophie, thank you. Peter, thank you. Aditya, thank you. Richard, thank you. Natalie, thank you. And Doogie, thank you so much. One and all, you make this show possible and you keep us going and it would just be so much worse without having you all. So cheers and thanks very much. Um, We also have merch on Teespring and Redbubble. Uh, loads of shite over there that's very expensive and very extortionate. So <laughs> don't waste your time with that. Um. And now we get to the advert portion of the show. So here is the first. Danny, I've got some amazing news. Oh, really? What? I'm going to make you a hat. Thanks. But, but why? Well, because Right Side Yarns, who sell beautiful and unique wool, have recently released a new range. Oh, I've heard of them. Aren't they that fantastic Scottish business that sells high-quality hand-dyed products perfect for crafting with? They certainly are, and they're sponsoring the show. Really? 
Have they heard the show? Yes, and apparently they like it. Kezia, the owner of the business, has given us a generous 15% off code for any of our listeners to use. Is, is that why you've got Void15 written in your hand? It is! If you or any of our listeners would like to use the code, simply enter Void15 at checkout with a capital V. Great! Would I check out? You can go to their website at rightsideyarns.co.uk or check them out on Instagram at kezia underscore rightsideyarns. Fantastic! This hat you're making me better be good. Amazing. Amazing. And here is the second. Do you know what my favourite part of recording the podcast is, Danny? Is it talking to me about movies and stuff? No, definitely not. (laughs) My favourite part is making and drinking a beautiful cup of coffee to keep me focused and centred while we record. I really like using coffee from my favourite roastery, Café Hormozzi. I've heard very good things about them. Aren't they a small, family-run roastery in Kent that roasts, grinds and sells excellent coffee? So good, in fact, that they guarantee not to ship anything they wouldn't drink themselves? They are indeed. They have a 100% customer satisfaction rate, and it's easy to see why. I'm currently drinking a mug of their house blend, and it's delicious, it's rich, it's nutty, and it's earthy, just how you'd want it to be. Mm, that sounds good. I'll have to go to hormozy.co.uk, that's hormozy, and pick up a bag with 5% off using our Shouting Into the Void discount code SITV5. That sounds like a great shout. I'd personally recommend their Vietnam White Dragon Origin coffee. It's delicious, and just like all of their coffee, it's great value too. Great! Now can we go talk about movies? No, this cup of coffee's far too good. Amazing. These really are amazing companies, um, and they sponsor us, and we're very thankful to them. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, And last but not least, we are partnered with an amazing company called Number 12 Crochet Avenue. And the Instagram is at number 12 Crochet Avenue. No caps, no spaces, all numbers. Uh, no, not all letters. So go check them out. They're absolutely fantastic. And uh, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's the shilling part done. Uh, we are so grateful to be to be able to do this as, as part of our job. And um, a lot of people seem to like storytelling into the void. So I'm sure we'll be doing more of these um but as for next week we are doing the 70th void on this podcast isn't that absolutely amazing isn't that just great and we have a special treat for you it's a big one we've been working on it for a while well lewis has lewis has been doing his research to stuff like that so um yeah that should be fun when that comes out so but i won't spoil it for you um but yeah that's us. So we shall hear you, see you, smell you, uh, completely underestimate you and overlook you if you commit a murder. Next time, um, cheers and goodbye.